Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. It's an organization in California that recently conducted a poll or a survey. And here was the question that they asked. If you could ask God one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask? They sent out that survey and the most common response they received is this question, why? Why is there pain and suffering in the world? And if we're going to be honest this weekend, and and let's just go ahead and say it, if you're going to be honest, what better place to do it than at church, amen? If we're going to be honest this weekend, there have been moments this week we've all wrestled with questions like that. Why? Why this pain? Why this suffering? Why this tragedy? One of the first phone calls that I received Monday morning um, happened just shortly after I found out. Like many of you, I didn't I didn't even realize until early Sunday morning what had even early Monday morning what had even happened in our city. I went to bed really not knowing Sunday night what was taking place downtown. And Monday of this week just happened to be my birthday, and so Monday morning my telephone is laying on the nightstand and. 6 a.m., I wake up, and I'm hearing bzz, 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 and my first response is, man, I've never gotten this many birthday texts in my life, <laughs> and I reach over, and I grab my phone, and I pick it up, and obviously, I begin to see the messages from my friends back on the East Coast who'd been watching on the news what was playing out in our city, uh, texts from different people in different parts of the world that had already heard about what was taking place and offering their prayers and encouragement and support. So I immediately flip on the news and begin to learn about the tragedy and the horror of what had taken place in our city while most of us were sleeping or didn't even know what was going on. One of the first gentlemen I talked to gave me a call that morning. I called him, actually, and uh, just asked him how he was doing. And he, he looked at he on the phone. He said, he said, Vance, he said, here's the question I've got. He said, where's God in all this? He said, people in Las Vegas, they're hurting. They're reeling from this, and they're asking that question. Even people of faith are wrestling with the question, where is God in all of this? And, and, and to be totally transparent, I've, I've been a follower of Jesus personally since 1989, since I was a freshman in college. I've been a pastor now for over 27 years, and yet this week when I saw what happened here in Las Vegas, it shook me, and I, I had to wrestle in my own heart with some questions before God. And anybody who would tell you they didn't, they're just not human. Every person that is a human being this week, it doesn't matter how deep you are in your walk with God, 
there were questions that we had to wrestle with, some hard questions that we needed to carry before the Father. And let me just, in beginning, say this. It's okay for you to go to God with some really hard questions. Sometimes people say you should never question God. Listen, I don't find that in the Bible. As a matter of fact, when you study the Scriptures, you'll find men and women who walked with God deeply, and yet at some very pointed points in their life, you find them asking God some very hard, penetrating questions. Much of what we read in the Psalms and the Bible are people wrestling with very difficult, challenging questions. So, so hear this first of all. It is okay for you to go to God with some questions. He is big enough to handle it. You can go to him. But as I begin to struggle and wrestle with those questions in my own heart, not, not even yet as a pastor, okay? I, know that, I knew there was going to come a moment where I needed to say, oh, God, God, what do you want me to say to other people? But I was in this moment saying, oh, God, I need you to say something to me. I need you to speak to me. And in that moment of just trying to myself hear from God, the Holy Spirit directed me to a psalm that, I has, that I've read multiple times this week and has been a bedrock for me. And I want to read it for you. It's out of Psalm 46. If you have your Bible, I want you to open to Psalm 46. And as you turn there, we don't know all the context surrounding this psalm. It's one of the psalms in the Bible that was not written by David Many of the psalms are attributed to David. This psalm is attributed to the sons of Korah. And they wrote this psalm in the midst. We do know this much. There was some sort of national tragedy that Israel was facing. And in response to this national tragedy, Israel as a nation had faced something. And they were being shaken to the core of who they were. And in the midst of this tragedy, God speaks to these and they write the words of this psalm. And I want you to hear it this morning. God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, <laughs> there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come, behold the works of of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving. It could also be translated, be still and know that I am God. 
There's a good word for us this morning. Amen. Be still and know. I know everything's shaking around you. I know there's tragedy. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And all God's people said, Amen. There are questions today we cannot answer. We have a lot of uncertainty. But what I want to try to do this morning is bring some instruction and encouragement from God's Word approaching that question, where is God in the midst of tragedy? And so there are three things that I want to share with you for sure out of this psalm that I hope will encourage you and bring light to this question. And here's the first one. God is. You say, God is what? Here's what I want you to hear me say. God just is. When I read this psalm for the first time on Monday morning, I couldn't get past the first two words. Look at the first two words of the psalm. God is. God is. Aren't you thankful he didn't open this psalm with God might be? Aren't you thankful that this psalm does not open with the phrase God sometimes is? But the psalmist wrote in the midst of tragedy and heartache with great certainty that God is. Meaning this, whatever we face in life, no matter how difficult it may seem, God is always God. And God is always present. We may not understand everything, but here's what we know. God is, and we can run to him. We can run to him. You see, the natural tendency of our humanness is that in moments of tragedy, we want to run from God. But here's what the psalmist is crying out in the midst of tragedy. These are the moments when we need to run to God. Run to him. Why? Because God God is. God is with us. I heard two stories this week that reminded me of the reality of God's presence in the midst of tragedy. Like you, I'm sure you've heard many stories this week via the news, people you've talked to, and we've had the opportunity to minister to a lot of people this week. And so I've heard a lot of stories, firsthand stories from different people. And, and one of those stories came from two police officers who were on our campus here this week. We had an alarm um, thing that we were working on here. And so two officers came to help check out the alarm system that we have. And these two officers showed up, I think it's middle of the week, and they were hurting. Because they had lost a fellow officer in this tragedy this weekend here in Las Vegas. And they were hurting. And so Pastor Stan on our team began to connect with these two officers and just pour out his heart and try to minister God's word to these two police officers. And Stan told them that he also had lost someone this weekend. He, he had a friend that had served in the National Guard with him, that had served overseas with him. And, and Stan was grieving as well. So he's speaking into the lives of these officers out of his own grief and sharing with them God's word. And the officers pull out a picture of the, the police officer that they had lost and they show it to Stan. And it was the exact same man that Stan had served in the National Guard with. 
And so here they were ministering to each other, and, and God gave Stan some incredible words to speak life into these two officers, and they were so encouraged by that divine appointment here on their, our campus. But, but here's what they said. They were there as a part of what was going on over the weekend, and they said it is a miracle of God that more people were not wounded. And here's their quote. It's almost like someone spread their arms over that crowd and protected them. Based on the situation, they said there should have been much more tragedy, but someone was watching over them that evening. Heard another story this week from an officer who's uh, got to had the responsibility of interviewing a lot of the victims who were wounded. And he talked to me this week, and he shared this story with me, and he said, I could have the permission to share it with you today. One of the women who was shot, he was talking to her in her hospital room, and she had uh, been wounded in the tragedy that happened. And when she was wounded on Sunday evening, she was actually on the phone talking to her husband that she'd been separated from. She was talking to her husband on the phone as the shots began to fire, and then obviously she was hit. And when she was hit, she dropped her phone, she fell to the ground, and she literally thought, this is her words to the officer, she said, I I thought I was about to die. So I did the only thing I knew to do, I crawled over to my phone to tell my husband goodbye. So I picked up my phone, and I rolled under a, a bench to try to get some protection. And she said, when I rolled under that bench to tell my husband goodbye, immediately there was a nurse that was standing right there over me. And she said, You've been injured, you've been wounded, I need to get you out of here, get you to safety, and get you some help. So this nurse helps this lady up, and she walks her out of all of that chaos to a pickup truck where they've already got two men in the pickup truck who've been wounded and shot, and they load this lady into the pickup truck, the nurse gets in with her, and they drive off to the hospital. These two folks obviously knew each other, she said, because they talked all the way, but she sat in silence with this nurse, and that nurse held her in her arms the entire way to the hospital, got her to the hospital, unloaded her out of that truck, put her in a chair, sent her off in the ambulance, and then she into the, into the hospital, and she began to look around for this nurse, and she said, I couldn't find her. She was gone, and nobody even knew where she was. The other two guys didn't even remember seeing her, and she, the, the police officer looked at her, and he said, well, well, how did you know it was a nurse? And she said, well, I know it was a nurse because... She she said, I don't know how I knew it was a nurse. She said, do you think maybe I dreamed that that nurse was there? And the officer who's a Christian who's in our church said, I don't think you dreamed it at all. He said, it sounds like to me that God sent an angel to lead you out of that harm and protect you. You say, does does God really do that? Let me me show you a verse in Psalm chapter 34. Listen to what it says in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in in him. Where is God in the midst of tragedy? Let me tell you where he is. He's right in the middle of it with us, walking with us as we experience that. And the psalmist here tells us three ways that he's with us. Number one, he's our refuge. God is our refuge. The word refuge is a word that means a place of safety and protection. It's someone that you can run to from danger or from storms or from people. The psalmist said God is, and one of the ways he is, is he is our refuge. He's someone that we can run to. 
And David, in another psalm, described this idea of God being our refuge. Let me show it to you in, in Psalm 62, verse 8. Look what he says. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Read this out loud with me. God is a refuge for us. Did you hear it? The psalmist said, because God is a refuge, here's what you can do. What does this say? Pour out your heart. In the Hebrew language, this phrase pour out literally means to to turn upside down and just dump everything out. When I have a younger brother, when he and I were little boys, we shared a toy box. Now, I don't know that it was the wisest thing in the world to do for two little boys to share a toy box, but, but we shared a toy box, and it was a, a place where we found a lot of fun and also a lot of fighting together as, a, as two little brothers. But, but when the day would end and playtime was over, mom would say, pick everything up, and that meant that my brother Brett and I were to put everything back in the toy box. And so we did our best. Man, we'd pile it all in there, and we'd take the lid, and we'd try to sit on it and get everything crammed down in that toy box so that we were done for the day. But when the next day came around and it was playtime again, the only way we knew how to get back into it was to take that toy box and turn it back upside down and just dump everything else back on the floor. Because only when we dumped everything out could we find what we were looking for, but it really made a mess. Well, that's the picture of this Hebrew word to pour out. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Look at this quote on the screen. Turn the vessel of your soul upside down in his secret presence and let your inmost thoughts, desires, Sorrows and sins be poured out like water. Hide nothing from him, for you can hide nothing. Here's part of what it means that God is our refuge. Trusting God at all times doesn't mean you can't be honest with God about all things. You can go to God today as your refuge, and here's what you can do. You can just open up and just dump it all out. You can pour it all out in his presence, knowing that he is a place you can run to. That means this. If you're hurting today, you can tell him. He's saying today, come to me. If today you have questions, you can ask him today. He's inviting you to come to him. If you're angry today or if you're upset today, you can throw yourself into the chest of God and you can cry to him and he's welcoming you. He is a refuge. You can don't don't let the enemy use this to cause you to run from him. May you run to him and pour out your soul in his presence and find grace and help in time of need. God is our refuge. Here's the second way he's with us. God is our strength. Do you hear it? God is our refuge and strength. The word strength is a Hebrew word that means power or might. Here's another question or another statement that I've heard a lot this week. I don't think I can handle this. You felt that at all this week? I don't think I can handle this. I don't think I can deal with this. Well, let me tell you what. You're right. As a human being, we don't have the ability in and of our own strength to cope with this kind of evil, this kind of tragedy, this kind of disaster. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. Jesus said, my grace is sufficient 
for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. What you and I cannot do, he can do. And he stands ready to be our strength and our refuge. Here's a third thing he said. He said he's our help. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Before we unpack what the word help means, you need to understand how he backloaded this phrase. He said he's a very present help. The word very in the Hebrew language means abundantly, greatly, exceedingly. The word present means to be in a specified place. The word help means one who meets a need. Here's what this tells us about God today. He's always abundantly available to meet whatever need you have. What do you need from God today? We come today as a needy people, and here's what I want you to hear me say. The psalmist said, God is. He's available, and he's enough. No matter where you are, he'll meet you, and he'll supply what it is you need. God is. So as we have a lot of questions today, here's what I want you to hear me say. First of all, God is. And we can find strength. We can find help. We can find comfort. We can find peace in that reality. Our circumstances do not define our God. Our God defines and and determines our circumstances and how we see them. But here's the second thing I want you to hear me say out of these verses. Evil exists God is, but evil exists. He said, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He didn't say if trouble. He said in trouble, meaning this. You live long enough, you'll see it. There's evil in the world. The word trouble is a word that means a situation or time of extreme discomfort, an event causing distress or pain. I'm I'm often surprised at our surprise about the reality of evil in the world. We see evil and we're so shocked like we did not know that evil exists in the world. The Bible never hides that fact from the opening book of the Bible, Genesis, all the way through. The Bible teaches us about the reality that there's evil in the world. And I know what we want to ask. We want to ask this question. Well, then why did God create evil? Here's the answer. He didn't. He didn't. You see, the world we know is not the world that God initially made. say, what do you mean by that? Well, I have a good friend who's a pastor in California named Greg Laurie. Some of you have heard of Greg and heard him preach and teach God's Word. He's an evangelist, speaks all over the world, but he pastors a church in Riverside. Greg and I talked on the phone this week. If you hadn't read it, Greg wrote an incredible article that you can read online about the tragedy in Las Vegas. But here's an excerpt out of that article that Greg wrote. Look at this quote on the screen. Remember, That mankind was not created evil. In their original state, Adam and Eve were innocent, ageless, immortal. But from the beginning, from the time that God gave life to Adam and Eve, man has had the ability to choose right or wrong. He made his choice, and then his choice made him. Had man never sinned, there would have been no resulting curse, but now it's too late. Romans 5.12 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race, 
Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Here's the biblical reality. Human beings, not God, are responsible for the introduction of evil into the world. Yet, in His grace, He is still our refuge. In His grace, He is still our strength. In His grace, He is still our help in the midst of tragedy. And before we get too down on Adam and Eve and blame them for everything, we all have the same choice and we've all chosen to sin against God. And it's our sin against God that has wreaked havoc in our world and the resulting curse of evil that permeates our culture. But here's what we know. Even in the midst of this evil, two things we know about God. God is present. He's, he is. He's our refuge, our strength, and God has purpose. Romans 8 28 says, and we know that God causes all things, the good and the bad. He causes them all to work together. Doesn't say he causes them all. It says he causes them to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Because really there's only two ways to think about this. And James Merritt summed it up beautifully. Look at this quote. He said, either this world is nothing more than randomness gone wild, which would truly render the question of evil moot anyway, or behind this planet is a divine purpose that can include evil and suffering in its ultimate fulfillment. So here's what we're saying with that. Even in the midst of tragedy, God is working to accomplish his purpose. And some might say, well, I knew somebody would say that, that God has a purpose in all this, but man, it just doesn't seem like it. Prove it. Well, to me, there's, there's nowhere seen more clearly in history or in Scripture the evidence of God's sovereign hand than when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about the cross for a moment. The cross of Jesus Christ is really the single greatest act of evil and injustice the world has ever witnessed. Think about what the cross was. God, who created everything we can see, taste, touch, fill, or smell. God, who loves the world. God, who created us to know him and love him and be loved by him. This God saw the sin of the world and he chose in his sovereignty to send his son into the world. Eternal God, Jesus Christ, took on humanity. God entered the creation that he created. Sinless, holy, sovereign God. And what did we do with him? We murdered him on a cross. You want to talk about evil? You want to talk about injustice? You want to talk about tragedy? God clothes himself in humanity, comes into the world, and we nail him to a cross. It was such horror and such terror that even the disciples, except for John, they ran from the cross. None of them were even there to witness it because when they looked at the cross, they saw fear, they saw hatred, they saw evil, they saw terror, they saw injustice. 
And yet, God in his sovereignty has taken that moment of evil and has caused it to now be seen as the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever witnessed. When you and I, anybody in the room thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? Amen. The disciples, they looked at the cross and they saw terror. They looked at the cross and they saw evil. But today, we look back on the cross and we see the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the provision of God. Now, Romans says it this way. That's why Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 5. He says, but but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. What does he say here? Christ what? Christ dying was a demonstration of the love of God for us. Now, I'm not saying that in time we'll be able to ever look back on what happened in our city and see it differently. We may not in this life. We may go into eternity with unanswered questions, but when we see him, we will be able to see things differently. Evil exists, but even in the midst of it, where's God? He's with us, and he's, he has a purpose. He's working in the midst of it. Then here's the last thing I'll share with you, and we'll be done. God will one day bring evil to an end. Amen? He will bring evil to an end. Go back to Psalm 46. Something interesting happens in this passage. National tragedy. The nation is reeling. They're hurting. They're heartbroken. And he opens by saying, God is. He's our refuge, our strength. But then in verse 4, he starts describing a city. A city unlike any city they'd ever seen. A city where God dwells. A city that God calls his home. A city that can never be destroyed. Look what he goes on to say. Look at verse 4. Put it back up on the screen. Look what he says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Here they are hurting. They're in the midst of tragedy. And the psalmist says, lift up your eyes and look on eternity. There is a city. It's a city where God dwells. It's a city that God calls his home. It's a city that God is protecting. It's a city where no evil ever dwells. And then that picks up again at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. John writes about this city. And listen to what he writes. Look up here. Revelation chapter 21. Look what it says. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city. What city is he talking about? The same one the psalmist was talking about, where God reigns, where his righteousness prevails, where there's no evil. John said, I saw this city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, get this, the tabernacle of God is among men. 
And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And get this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there'll no longer be any death. Anybody looking forward to that day? There'll no longer be any mourning. There'll no longer be any crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Here's what John said. One day, this city that God describes in the Psalms as this city where no evil exists, one day this glorious city is going to come down out of heaven, and it's going to rule and reign on planet earth and when it does all evil will be put to an end it's why Jesus said today you and I should pray for that our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven well here's the last question I want to address why if that's true Why doesn't God just do it now? The Bible actually answers this question. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Look at it. The Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but he is patient towards you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance so what does that mean Here's what that means. When that city comes and God puts an end to evil, everyone who doesn't know him in that moment will be lost for all eternity. Why doesn't God just do it now? Let me tell you why. Because in his grace, he's waiting on you. He longs to bring you to himself. Lee Strobel was an atheist, became a follower of Jesus, and wrote a book called The Case for Christ. The movie was just produced this year. Listen to what Lee Strobel says. I'll close with this quote. He said, so what's holding God up? One answer is that he's actually delaying the consummation of history in anticipation that more people will put their trust in him and spend eternity in heaven. He's delaying everything out of his love for humanity. Why wouldn't God just end it all now? Let me tell you why. Because he loves us and he longs to save those who don't know him. Let's pray together this morning. God, this morning in the stillness of this moment, I ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to speak as only you can and draw people all over this place to yourself. As we sit here this morning, maybe you're here and you have never come to know Jesus 
as your personal Lord and Savior. You don't know God personally. But today, you're ready to give your life to him. You want to embrace his salvation. You're ready to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know Jesus today, the scripture, what I taught earlier, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's what the Bible says, that every one of us, you, me, all of us, we've all sinned against God. And because of our sin, we're separated from a love relationship with God. And if we die separated from a love relationship with God, we spend eternity separated from God. But here's the reality of Scripture. God loves you, and he loves me, and he loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus to die in our place. On the cross, Jesus took all of our sin on himself, and he died for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins so that now you and I, by faith in Jesus can be given that which we lost because of sin, a relationship with God. And we can have our eternity in heaven secured. When that city comes down, you and I will dwell there with him. But only if we put our faith in Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you're ready to do that today, I want to invite you to believe on Jesus. You say, how do I do that? Well, I want to lead you in the words of a prayer. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not repeating a prayer that brings salvation. It's faith in Jesus and his gospel that saves. But if you're ready to put your faith in him, the word of God says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I'm going to invite you right where you're sitting. If you want to give your life to Christ and be saved today, to just pray this with me there in your seat. Say, Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you died on a cross for my sin. I know that you rose again from the dead. And I receive your salvation right now. I invite you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, with nobody looking around right now but me, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. I want to pray for you. If you are here today and you just prayed with me for the first time in your life to give your life to Jesus, I'm just going to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and then just put it back down all over the building? If you prayed today and gave your life to Christ with me, just lift your hand up and put it back down. God bless you. Somebody else today, you prayed today and given your life. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Somebody else? God bless you, sir. Anybody else this morning? Today, for the very first time, you've put your faith and trust in Christ. Listen to me, Hope Church. God is already working to accomplish his purpose in the midst of evil. What the enemy intended for evil, God's already using for for our good and his glory. People have been saved in all of our services today. We rejoice with you. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But if you just prayed with me and you've given your life to Christ, here's what I want you to do. If you don't mind, in the seat pocket in front of you, there's a connection card. And in the middle of that card, there's some boxes that say, my response today. And one of the top response is, today I've given my life to Jesus. If you pray today and have given your life to Christ, I want to ask you to take that card, check that box, and when we dismiss our service in just a moment, 
there's a tent out in the courtyard that's going to say next steps on it. And we have a gift for you. It's a 42-day devotional that you can begin to daily grow in your walk with God. If you'll just stop by that tent, all you got to do is walk up there with that card. You don't have to say anything. They'll take it from there. You walk up with that card. They're going to give you this devotional guide, connect with you, because we want to walk with you on this journey of knowing God and walking with Jesus. For the rest of us, here's what we're going to do now. We're going to stand and sing a song of worship. It's not an opportunity to slip out early. It's a time to respond to what we've heard from God. We're going to have pastors all across the front. And we're going to take these steps up here and open them up like an old-fashioned altar. And here's what I think would be a powerful testimony today. If many of the believers in this room, if we just come and fill these altars and just cry out to God on behalf of our city, maybe specific aspects that we prayed over earlier, but you can just come and you can get in one of these altars if the Lord leads you and just stand in the gap for the city of Las Vegas and pray for a move of God in our city, for healing, for restoration, for God to move. For others of you, our pastors are going to be here. If God's spoken to you about something and you want to pray with one of our pastors, or if you haven't yet given your life to Christ and you, want, you have more questions, you want to talk with someone while we're singing, you come to any one of these pastors, we'd love to connect with you today. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those today that have given their lives to you. I pray right now that you would flood their soul with assurance, and God, that you would move mightily in their midst, that they would be overwhelmed with the reality of your presence today. And God, I pray for those here that are hurting. Lord, that in this moment we would worship you and we would run to you. Lord, I pray today that believers would would come and get in these altars and just cry out to you on behalf of our city. Lord, may we stand in the gap for our city. Move among us today. We thank you for what you're going to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.